0: You're listening to audio from Grace Hills Church in Aliso, Viejo, California. For more information, visit us online at gracehills.com. Amen. Good morning, church. How are we doing? All right. So we've been in our series in prayer, and I I feel like just feeling prompted this morning that we should make just a pause before we do anything else. Um, If you've been watching the news, if you know what's been going on, there is now a war been declared in Israel uh, with what's going on, and... I'll just say this, I don't, there's a lot of views on Israel, and, and you can have those views, but at the end of the day, I'll just say this. There are men and women that are dying, and there are Christians in Israel that love Jesus that are dying. Uh, there are Christians in Gaza that love Jesus that are dying, and it is horrible. And so what I think would be really appropriate this morning is we took a couple of minutes and we prayed out loud, and you can pray one at a time, just stand up and pray, and ask for God to continue to make himself known in that area and that we would lift them up during this time. So I'm gonna back off, let you pray, and then I'll jump in in a second when we feel it's appropriate. Lord, you are not surprised by anything. You are sovereign and all powerful over all things and you see what's happening and you know what's going on. You know the hearts of the men and the women on both sides of what's happening. Lord, I ask that through your power and your ability, that you would be glorified through this in some way. Lord, I ask that people would come to know you through this situation, but most, mostly I ask you bring comfort during this time, just a senseless amount of loss and death. In an area that's been at war for so long, it's the place where the, the peace between man and God was established, and yet we still fight and we toil of our proud and broken hearts, Lord, mend hearts, draw us back to you, ask that your hand be over that situation and your will be done in that situation. Pray this in your name, amen. It's hard having a somber moment like that, but it's the reality of the world that we live in. Um, I remember growing up as a child and there was two days that were my favorite days out of any day of the year. One was Christmas, and you're like, Simon, you are so righteous and so holy because you like the snow and the family time and the warm feelings of Christ. No, I wanted gifts. I wanted straight up, I wanted gifts. That's what I wanted. Um, The other one was uh, (laughs) my birthday (laughs) because I got gifts. I know, I'm a horrible person. I can own it and admit it that I am a bad person, but here's the thing. They were interesting days if you think about what they are. And they both have the same outcome, but there's different reasons to why those things happen. So uh, on my birthday, I just received gifts because my mom and dad bought me gifts. I was a part of the family, and they loved me, and so I'd come downstairs, and there'd be gifts on the table. You're like, hooray, I existed, and I got gifts. That's how that worked. But the other one for Christmas is different. And uh, no spoilers here, but you have to just own how bizarre we've made Christmas, okay? Like, there's something magical that was introduced to me as a child, and his name is Santa Claus. And if you really break down the idea of Santa Claus, at least how it's communicated to this generation, it's weird. There's this hungry guy. He's going to break into your house. By the way, he's been watching you all year long, and as he gets into your house, he's going to eat your cookies, he's going to take your milk, and because he's been watching you, if you have been good, a good boy or a good girl, he will then give you gifts based upon that from the list that you sent him, or through sitting on some guy's lap asking for gifts. Can we acknowledge how confusing that is as a child? Can we just please own that? That's, that's, that's odd. It's weird. It's weird. But here's the thing that's interesting. Out of those two days, one is based on being family and one is based on good works and the gift that you receive through that. I know that this is a strange intro. Get used to those. That's just kind of what happens when I'm up here. But I do believe it hits the heart of what we're talking about today. As we talk about prayer and how we view God, I think that there's a lot of similarity between that story and what we do with that. Now, I'll be honest, I don't, I don't usually get nervous when I come up here and preach. Now, I am always concerned about how I handle God's word. I wanna make sure that I'm doing the best that I can to communicate God's truth with accuracy whenever we open up scriptures, but I don't get that nervous. But there are times when you preach a particular passage and you realize that everyone in the world has probably heard this passage. Even Even non-Christians will quote this passage as if they actually know it all the time. And so you go, wow, what am I going to say that's going to be helpful that hasn't already been said before? I'm not going to bring any new amazing wisdom to this. And I get 40 minutes to do it, which most pastors take eight weeks to go through the entire thing to do it. So here we go. If you have your Bibles, we are going to be in one place and one place only today, okay? So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 5 and work our way through verse 15. That is going to be the only place we go. You will never have to turn your Bibles anywhere else. You're welcome. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father Forgive your trespasses. Let's pray and jump into this section of Scripture. God, you are so amazing. You're so large and so huge and so before us. You hold all things in your hands. You hold us together. You hold the universe together. You are intimately involved in the lives of your creation. Lord, I ask that we would have open hands with the things that we desire this world, that we would have our hearts in line with your will and your desires for what you would want for us, for what you would want for this world. Lord, I ask this morning as we come before you that you would give us wisdom and understanding in this passage and what that means for us. If there are areas where we need to ask for forgiveness because we are not trusting you with our lives, I ask you would reveal that to us this morning. Show us the areas where we're not trusting you, following you, and loving you, and that we would lay those down at the foot of the cross. And as we comprehend and understand, Jesus, what you've done on the cross for us, I ask that we as well could forgive others to be a tangible expression of, of the hands and feet of Jesus Christ with our lives so they would see you and the gospel through how we live. And Lord, as we live in a fallen, broken world, I ask that you would protect us from the enemy who wants us to forget that we are sons and daughters of the Most High God. That he would want us to doubt and think that there is something better than you Keep us from pursuing those things that distract us from you being the ultimate goal and prize. We pray all these things in your glorious and amazing name. Amen. This is the Bible's most in-depth section on how to pray. It's not the longest prayer, but it's the most in-depth section on how to pray given by God himself. Uh, This was also recorded in Luke chapter 11 and how it was prompted gives us more insight as to why we actually have the Lord's Prayer that we have today. And the question was this, Lord, as the disciples were talking to Jesus, teach us to pray. That was the question put before the disciples to Jesus, the one who would always sneak off and pray to God all the time, always seeking out to be in communion and fellowship with the Lord. But we see here, is it shows the heart of our God, of our Savior. That he's a kind God who loves us enough to teach us, to show us what is right and to show us what is wrong because he cares for us. He wants us to know how to engage the God of the universe and what that looks like in our lives. And he wants us to be in relationship with him. The heart of the message today is this. It's about a relationship with God and drawing close to him. That's truly what's being said in this section. Um, If you're a note taker, you have your notes. If you like to write down more notes, if you like to know where we're going, I'm going to tell you so you can know that it's only a three-point sermon. Verses five through eight will be the posture of prayer and what that looks like. Verses 9 through 13 will be how we should pray by the example set before Jesus. And verses 14 through 15 will be the result of this relationship and how that plays out in our life. So my first point is the posture of prayer. Verses 5 through 8. Right off the bat, we see that Jesus wants to teach us about prayer and what that looks like. He's going to give us two do-nots. This is how you should not do that. And he's going to give us two do's and how we should do that. So... Nots and shoulds. That's where we're going to land. And he wants to address a very simple issue of the time in the day in the age that was taking place with those men and women. But I think it's completely relevant today with where we are and our posture of prayer as well. He starts off like this Do not be like the hypocrites, praying. For all to see, praying to be known as religious and pious and holy and uh, just wonderful human beings who are completely connected to God in all ways. Now, you need to understand, it was common to pray often three times a day in that culture, in the morning, in the afternoon, and in the evening. That was very traditional for the Jewish men and women of that day. And it wasn't uncommon that people would pray on the corners and in public, and they would do that. That was a, a common thing that took place. We see that today, and we go, that individual has taken some kind of chemical, and they're having an amazing moment by themselves right now. We don't do that as much anymore. But... What we see is that they were praying for show. Jesus tells us that. Why do they do it? So others will see them. I believe there's a couple things going on here. The first one is people want to receive praise and accolades from others. We, as young children, want mom and dad to be happy with what we're doing and tell us that we're a good boy or that we're a good girl that we're doing the right thing and that we're falling in line and we're accomplishing our things. We want coaches to tell us we're doing a good job. We want teachers to give us good grades. There is something innate about us that wants us to know that we're doing the right thing. And, and what can happen within that, which is a danger that takes place for all of us, is that we can start to elevate the opinions of others higher than God's. That we can say, this is, I want this praise, I want this accolade, I want this recognition, and we can slowly start to move them above God's opinion and how he views us and how he sees us. We do this all the time, don't we? You ever toil over the post that you're about to put? on Facebook, on Instagram, on Snapchat, on Twitter, whatever it may be. Like, how can I word this in such a way that these people will give me a like or a thumbs up or they'll retweet or they'll reshare or it'll go viral? We want that, don't we? We desire those people to see us as valuable in some way and so we start to act in that way. Because what happens is this, is we fear others. And what I mean by that is we fear their disapproval of who we are and their opinions and how they view us. And what we do is we elevate them above God. We give them a more predominant position in our lives than they ought to have. And I want to tell you something. The the Bible is really clear. The created is never greater than the creator. And we must always keep in mind that we are the created. We are not the creator. But Jesus, he addresses this really, really quickly. He's like, if that's what you want... If you want to see uh, by others as holy and righteous and pious and, and amazing, great, congratulations, there's your reward. You've gotten it. You got everything that you wanted. The problem is, is the thing that they desire, which isn't necessarily bad, it's pointed at the wrong thing. It's pointed at others. It's the wrong direction that we should be looking for the approval and the love and the support and the accolade. See, they don't have the same power as God. They can't forgive. They can't bring joy. They can't bring peace. They can't bring the purpose and the fulfillment that you are desiring in life. It will fade. And he moves to six and he says, How our posture should be. We should do it in secret and alone. Now, all my friends who don't like to pray out loud are like, All right, I got a verse. See, I don't have to pray out loud. I got a verse. Sorry, that's really not what it's saying, but we can talk about that a little bit more. It's not saying that all prayer out loud is wrong and bad. It's, again, it's the posture of the heart that determines what that looks like. But what he's saying is this. At its core, prayer is talking to God and being in relationship with him. That is what it is. It's what we're looking to do. So if you're doing this alone, no one can see you. There's, there's no one to impress when you're doing it alone. It, it's, it's not about trying to look religious and holy because they don't know what you're saying and what you're doing. To spend this time alone with God means that you're doing it solely because you want to be with God. The purpose of being with God it's being with God, the God of the universe, the one who made us, who keeps us, who holds us, who gives us breath, who controls all things. That's who we get to be with. That is the purpose of what we're doing. And then he talks about this idea of these empty phrases. Don't be like the Gentiles who heap up empty phrases. It, the word is, uh, can be translated empty phrases or babbling. And the idea that it's about repeating many words over and over and over again, as if adding lots of word gives weight to the prayers and that God owes you in some way because I've said this thing in this way over and over and over again until I've worn him down to get the thing that I desire. You ever remember being in school, maybe this is is probably a me story, not a you story because you're all smart and I'm not as smart. You ever been in school and they give you a paper to write, but it has to be a certain amount of words you remember that? They're like, it's got to be 100 words. It's got to be 1,000 words. You're like, oh, no. And I, they're like, here, write on this book. I'm like, I didn't really read the book. And so I'm like, this book was very, 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 very good. <laughs> the reasons I like this very, very, very good book, are, and I would just start adding all these words. I'm like, I just need numbers. Here is all I need, people. Do you know who wasn't fooled? The teacher, (laughs) hence the bad grade. Do you know who else isn't fooled? God's not fooled. He knows what you're trying to do because he knows your heart. What makes this the most concerning, because it's not about, at this point, if that's what you're trying to do, it's not about a relationship with God. It's about what you can get from God. You ever have a friendship where someone just wants to be around you for what they can get? What they can leech off of you? It's a really great feeling, right? Just feel so loved and used. What you're saying in these moments is, I don't care about you, God. I just want what you can give me. I just want my stuff. I'm only doing this prayer because it gets me what I really want, these things, this stuff, this praise, this accolade, this uh, pride in my own life. And we start treating God like Santa Claus or a genie or a wish giver or an ATM in the sky, because he's just an end to a means. A means to an end is all he really is, isn't he? I got to go through this hoop. And Jesus says, don't be like this. And then he says this statement. Because God already knows what you want before you ask. You're like, well, then why should I even ask? Why cut out, cut, cut out the middleman? If he already knows and I already know, then we're done here. Because God wants you to interact with him, he wants you to engage him, he wants you to bring your heart to him. Because it's really about what God is doing in your life and how he's trying to show you and shape you. It's funny, um, when my kids would come to me, like were like, I'm hungry. I, I know they're hungry. Like, I need this, I need that. As parents, at least good parents, you know your kids need shelter, and they need food, and they need clothing, and they only need a nap when they're hangry. You know all those things, right? And they ask for you anyway, but you just want them to come to you to be in relationship with you and to engage you. I know what they need. They don't need to ask me. But that's how we are with God. God's like, just come and be with me. Enjoy who I am. Sit in my goodness. And my first question today is this. What does your posture look like when you go to pray? Is it about what you can get from God? Or is that you get to be with God? Then he says you should pray like this. So uh, this is our How We Should Pray 9 through 13. There's a clear order and a flow that takes place in this. And actually each section moves us, our heart, in a a general direction. That's what Jesus is actually doing. Um, I want to note this. He's not saying that we should pray these words, and these are the words that we should pray. Now, we did that, and that's good. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with praying through Scripture. There's nothing wrong with saying the Lord's Prayer. But it is not a magical incantation, that that's not what it is. It's a model of prayer is what it is. That's why it says, um, pray then like this. That like is really important in that sentence because it's saying that this is a model. This is a, a method for how you can pray, a method for how you can engage God that helps you understand who he is and what you do. Uh, how many of you have uh, enjoyed learning the Acts method of prayer? The uh, Raise your hand if you've been using the Acts method of prayer. It's been good for you. Yeah, I know our group has loved it. It's been really helpful for us. Uh, maybe you've noticed the Lord's Prayer kind of sounds like the Acts model, doesn't it? Well, yeah, it does, because there's a lot connected to it. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at these, these steps that God gives us for what it looks like. And the first one is this, relationship, our Father. Um, I listen to Tim Keller. I think he's, uh, he, he's a good guy. He's spoken in my life. I was really sad when he passed away. But he has this statement that he said. He says, we must first be dazzled by God when we pray a great way of looking at it. We must be dazzled by our God. We must see Him for who He really is and be in awe. We must be dumbfounded when we look at the character and the nature of God. That we see His might, His power, His glory, His holiness that we are besides ourselves that this God would even want to engage us? And when Jesus starts this prayer He wants us to immediately understand the relationship that we're talking about. And rightfully enough, this is the title of the sermon, Our Father. Not somebody else's father, but our father. And you're like, I didn't have a good relationship with my father. I know. A lot of us haven't. A lot of us had had a bad example of a father. And some have had great examples of fathers. And that's fantastic. Praise the Lord if you've had that. But what he's saying is that you do have a father. And you have a good father. And though your example on earth may not have been good, we actually know that that's not good based upon the goodness of the true Father, don't we? We actually have a comparison to understand that. But this title, Our Father, it embraces the character of God in a number of ways. One, His authority. The Father has authority. Two, there's warmth. Three, there's intimacy. Four, there's love. And five, there's care. Like, just that title alone invokes all of those feelings. Um, you ever think about the difference between a, a boss and a father? So if you think about a boss, uh, someone you work for, someone that you're employed under, um, you may have a great relationship with your boss, right? You're like, ah, oh, we, we, we're good friends. We hang out. We do stuff. We enjoy. Even after work, we'll go and do things, and it's great. Here's the thing. He's still your boss, and you were still hired to do a job, weren't you? What happens when you stop meeting the expectation of the job that you were hired for? You get fired, thank you. Cam gets it, you get fired. If you don't do what you're asked to do, it doesn't matter what good friends you are, you're gonna get fired. The difference between a boss and a father is a father wants you to succeed, just like a boss. A father wants you to do well, just like a boss. A father wants you to be every bit of your potential lived out, just like a boss. The only difference is that when you don't do that, your father doesn't fire you. Because you're in relationship. And so right off the bat, we have to understand that he is our father. When he talks about being in heaven, it means that it's a sovereign rule and reign above us and over all things. See, he's starting to to draw out this being dazzled by this God, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present. Hallowed this idea that you are holy, that you are set apart, that you are special. The the direct translation is uh, to be sanctified, is how that would translate. See, God is so different from us. He's nothing like us. Yet we're made in his image, and yet he desires to be in relationship with us. We have no business being in his presence. Yet he is a father that pursues, chases after, and loves us. He calls us his children, and he refers to himself as our father. The second point is submission. Your will be done. So as we see God for who he is, and we understand his character and nature more, it moves us. We need to understand that we're not in control. You're like, no, I am. No, you're not. You're not in control. You didn't pick where you were born. You didn't pick when you were born. You didn't pick your family. You don't pick when you die. God's in control. And I say this all the time, and I say it with love. And with frustration in my own life, as I've gone through life, his ways are best, even when we don't understand. Because he sees all things. He knows all things. And if we saw what he saw, we'd be like, well, of course you'd do it that way. There's no other way to do it, because you're perfect. Sometimes we, when we pray, we want to get to the good part of prayer, right? The gimme, gimme part. We like to get to the gimme, gimme part. When can I ask for stuff? When can I get to stuff? Here's the problem. If you don't follow this order of understanding and being amazed by him and understand that he's in control, what's going to end up happening? um, If we can't come to a place where we're willing to submit to the will of God and what he wants, then we're always going to be mad when we ask God for things in prayer and we don't get what we want. Maybe you've been frustrated with your prayer life because you ask for things and you're not getting the things that you desire, the things that you think you should have in your life. I would say this gently. I think it's because you don't have a good understanding of the sovereignty of God's will and what he's doing in this world. And I'm guilty. Like, I'm just as guilty as anybody else in this room. The same way that a 40-year-old father knows what his four-year-old son or daughter needs is just like God. We ask for stuff, and a good father or a good mother is going to say, no, that's, that's dangerous. Ever been asked by a child for something just insane? Anyone? Just me? Okay, just my kids? Sorry, guys. It's it's crazy the things they'll ask for because they think, well, I of course I want that. It looks great. I should have whatever it is that I want. And we say no, because like that's not safe for you. That's bad for you. That that would actually be dangerous and deadly for you. I have a child, I'm not gonna say who it is, but this child for a long time said, Dad, I want a taser. I'm like, what? I want a taser. I'm like, you're not getting a taser. No, it's dangerous. That would not be good for you. It would not be good for your friends. It would not be good for your brothers. It may not be good for me. Like, I'm not giving you a taser. We need to say that we want the rule and reign of God on earth as it is in heaven, meaning that everything and everyone joyfully submits to the will of the Father that we would all come to a place where we're okay with submitting to God joyfully. And I want to say this thing here. The next phrase determines if you understand the, like being under the will of God. God's knows are good. God's knows are good in your life. And if you understand how much he loves you and cares for you, and sees all things. When he tells you no, you can say thank you. The next section is provision. Give us this day our daily bread. So we've been dazzled by God and his greatness. We've surrendered our hearts to God and his will for our lives. We have open hands with the things in our lives. That's that's the best way to have it. Ask, right? But have open hands. Sometimes it's a no. Sometimes you take it away. Sometimes you give it. That's fine. Have an open hand with it. But then we move to our request. But if you understand what you're asking for and who you're asking it from and who's in charge, it changes things, doesn't it? Yes, we are to ask God for what we need in life. He, he encourages us to come to Him in prayer. Just like we tell our kids, come to us, talk to us, let us know what's going on in your life. Sometimes we pray for things that we just don't need, we just want them. That's okay. But the thing that makes the difference actually harkens back to the Israelites. If you know your Bible, if you know your Old Testament, even the idea of give us this day, our daily bread, should move you to a spot in Exodus 16. Your mind should naturally go there if you know the Bible. We're talking about manna from heaven. Maybe you know that story. This is the same idea that was communicated to the Israelites. The idea was this. As they were in the desert, they had no food. They needed food. God provides this amazing, magical bread from heaven that falls on the ground. They can collect. And he says, hey, I want you to go out there, collect it once a day. Just get a day's worth for your family and then come back tomorrow and get the next. And if you take too much, it'll turn into maggots and rot. It'll be really gross and you won't want that. It's weird that God would say that, isn't it? Like, why, why, why can't I just grab enough for, the, for a couple of days, you know? Just kind of get by, save some energy, you know? Uh, how about a week or a month? See, God understands how we think. He understands how our minds work and how our hearts work. And it's very easy for us to start to move in a direction that is farther and farther away from God. And what he's saying is this. I want you to rely on me every single day for every single breath, for every single minute, for every single thing that you have that brings life and sustains you. You need to understand that I am the one that does everything. And if you could stockpile a bunch of stuff, suddenly we start to think about ourselves as being the one that have created the provision in our own lives, haven't we? He wants us close to him. And when we're not close to him, we start to drift off into our own provision. And that is pride in self, which is destructive. Also note, how short is this section about us asking? It's just so short. Like, we usually tend to make all the prayer about all the stuff that we want, but when you look at how God structures it, it's such a small part. It's such a tiny place of us asking for our desires, our wants, our needs, our fulfillment. See, the Lord's prayer is mostly about God and His greatness. It's not about building up our greatness. The third part is confession Forgive us our debts. He then shifts to this time of confession and brings up the area where we're really like, where are you not trusting God in parts of your life? Where are you not letting God rule and reign in your heart? See, it's to move us to remind us of how much we need God for, A, our salvation, but it moves farther than that, doesn't it? Without Jesus, we can't have no forgiveness of sin. We can have no peace with God this forgiveness that he's brought in is the perfect example of his love, grace, and mercy showered upon us through his son, Jesus, that anyone who's placed their life in the life of Christ, confess their sins to him, will be saved. See, it doesn't stop upon salvation. It's not about just, oh, I'm justified, I'm good. That's not what it's about. It's about daily dying, dying to self. It's letting God into every nook and cranny of your heart. See, the closer that we are to God the more we move towards God, the more his holiness shines in all the aspects of our lives. The Christian's life is about continually dying to self and and ridding ourselves of any area of distrust that we have in God, any area that we're lifting something up higher than who he is. He wants us to give him every part of who we are. And that takes a long time. It takes a lifetime, doesn't it? But it's also connected to our forgiveness of others we see. That we understand that as we have been forgiven so much from Jesus Christ, so much that he had to send his son to die in our place, that we had sinned so desperately and deeply that the only payment for that debt was death. That Jesus came and stepped in, that he lived the life we couldn't live. He gives us his righteousness for those who have placed their life in him. But the problem comes when we fail to forgive others. Because what we're doing in that moment is we're taking a posture of being better than somebody else. I would never do that. Can you believe what they did? (laughs) But that's what we do when we don't forgive, don't we? I'm better than you. If you were just like me, then you wouldn't have done X, Y, Z, whatever the sin is that was done to you. Once you realize that you've done that and worse to God, it changes everything. If your sin wasn't that bad, why did the Savior of the world have to die on the cross? If you could earn your own salvation, then why would Jesus need to come and die? I'm not saying that the things that were done to you as you were sinned against, weren't hurtful. I'm not saying they weren't wrong. I'm not saying that they weren't unloving, that they weren't unkind, and they weren't horrific in your life. I'm not saying that, because they were. But what I am saying is if you have the Holy Spirit in you, you have the same Spirit of God that brought the very grace, mercy, and love and forgiveness in your life. And as you draw near to that God, you are going to start to behave like him. You will have to start to become full of grace and mercy. And my question in this section is, is there someone that you need to forgive like Jesus forgave you? And I don't know the answer to that, but I'll tell you this. The relationship you desire with Jesus and the intimacy and the level of that you want to be close to him will be hindered by that sin in your life. Sin creates a barrier. I'm not talking about salvation, but I am talking about the intimacy that you desire with God. He says, if you have something against a brother, something against you, go and don't, don't come and worship me. Leave it at the altar. Go seek that person out and seek reconciliation. That's how important it is to him. He doesn't want your singing. He doesn't want your prayer. He doesn't want your tithing if you have this against somebody else. Ask that question, whoever that is. Realize what you've been forgiven and then go extend that same grace and mercy and forgiveness to somebody else. Next point, protection. Lead us not into temptation. Jesus will shift to the fact that we live in a fallen, sinful world and that we are constantly under attack by the enemy. We have a tendency to drift and move and desire sins in our life and the temptations of our heart are always pulling us away from God. We have to make conscious decisions to not believe those temptations because behind those temptations is a lie saying that there is something better than God, something that will fulfill more than Jesus. Something that will bring joy, peace, or hope more than the God of the universe, the giver of life, the sustainer of life, the source of all joy and hope. We have to be conscious about that. We ask the Lord that our heart would be constantly transformed in the Savior's. The term evil can be translated evil or evil one. Uh, Both are fitting as far as I'm concerned. They really are. Um, Sometimes it's us who are to blame for the sin in our life and the temptation and things we do, right? Is that can we say that's fair? I would say that that's the majority of the time of the things that are happening in our life. But there are times when the enemy comes and tempts you with things knowing your weaknesses that he's trying to get you to stumble and to fall and to reject God. So we ask for both. We ask the Lord to protect us from him. Why? Because he is stronger than the enemy. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Amen. The result of this relationship is my third and final point. This last passage in my Opinion is the least cited verse when it comes to the Lord's Prayer. And i never, ever, ever, ever hear anybody say this, these next two verses after I hear the Lord's Prayer. And it's like, and keep us from evil. Amen. It's like, well, there's two more verses there that are really important. Well, what do they say? For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. It's a tough, it's a tough verse. I talk with a lot of people in my office and we talk about sin, we talk about forgiveness, we talk about brokenness. I'm very quick to cite this. All the time. I, I, I say it often, I say it quickly because I think we forget who we are, what we've done, and what Jesus has done for us. Um, I've already said it, we're not talking about salvation, we're talking about relationship of closeness and proximity and being connected to that intimacy, that's what we're talking about. When I moved from Northern California, I moved to Southern California the first time, and uh, I dressed like a Northern Californian, which means I wore baggy-ish clothes, and they just were there for clothing to keep me from getting arrested, and they worked. They were just clothes that worked. I was clothed. When I moved to Southern California, I found that they really valued fashion. And I quickly was mocked often and regularly about how lame I looked and how frumpy I looked and how I had to wear tighter pants and my shirts were way too loose and I had to have certain clothing with holes in them. And if I did that, then I'd fit in. And I realized over time, I just started to do that. I kind of fit into that world. That's the world that I lived in. And I started wearing those clothes and um, started talking the way that I, although I never say the five. Come on, let's just knock it off. It's ridiculous. It's not a proper name. And so anyway... The reality is, as then I moved from Southern California and I moved to Seattle. And then all of a sudden my wardrobe started to change and I, I got leather boots because you have to have leather boots because you're always going to have a, a, an impromptu hike at some point in the Pacific Northwest. And I wore jeans all the time and I wore flannels and I wore long shirts and I had Filson stuff and I, I grew a beard. Like all those things started to happen. I wasn't getting mocked by people. I just naturally did that. Why did I do that? It's so weird, right? Because we start to act like the people that we're around. We dress like the people around. We talk like the people we're around. We take on the mannerisms of the people that we're around. As we have positive interactions with people that we love and desire and care for, and they love and care for us, we start to have a positive subconscious level of understanding that this is good. I like this. I want to be like them at some level. I want to look like them and talk like them and be like we just do. You have a best friend, you have the same jokes. you probably finish each other's sentences, right? It's just what you do. I bring this up because proximity influences the heart. We, we do that because We are becoming close to someone or something. And what we're talking about here in this whole idea is about a relationship with God. And as we move closer to Jesus, we move closer to the heart of God. Like, do you realize that we are meant to look like our creator? We were made in the image of God. God. To reflect who God is. And as we draw into proximity, we will start to look like Him. If prayer is about what we can get from God, it's still this you focused uh, interaction, right? And again, when you don't get what you want, do you have a desire then with that negative interaction that you would want to be involved in prayer? Of course not, because it's focused around you. If it's about the approval of others and how they view you and see you, if the culture does not value that, then you will move away from that value and you'll start to look more and more like the culture. But if your time in prayer is about being close to the Father, for the enjoyment of being close to the Father, that changes everything. Suddenly as we get to know Him, we want to be like Him because He is good. And we see his provision and his love and his kindness and his power and his mercy and his grace and the salvation that he gave through his son. We can gaze into the eyes of his holiness and want to plumb the depths of knowing who God is. This infinite God that is uncontainable, who controls and holds all things together, yet wants to be involved in my life. Why? Why does he love me so much? Because God is love and I wanna be a part of that love. I wanna look like that, I wanna see him. As he bridged the gap between sinners and the holiness of God through his son, Jesus Christ, he demonstrated how much he loved us, how much he desired to be in relationship with us. He pursued us, we didn't pursue him. And we see at the heart of this amazing God is forgiveness grace and mercy and we want to be like him too. We want to learn how to love like Jesus, forgive like Jesus, be self-sacrificial like Jesus. That's the point. The point's about this relationship talking with God and understanding him and and engaging him in light of that. Maybe Maybe this week you need to read through the Lord's Prayer. But we have a tendency of reading through things we know very quickly, don't we? Our father have the You just go through it, right? You go through the motions. Yeah, I know, I know, I know, I got it, I got it. What if you were to slow down and read it line by line? Pause after each line. Do I see you as holy? Do I see you as sovereign in heaven? Do I want your will? What should I be asking for, God? How do I do this? Where am I sinning against you? Where have I rejected you? How can I forgive others? Lord, please protect me from the enemy. He wants to destroy me. You want to bring me life. Keep me from that evil. Keep me from my own heart. Could you imagine if you started to think and pray this way, what it would do to you? That you would become in relationship with God and everywhere you went, you would look like the savior of the world. You can't stand in the presence of God and not be changed. You can't. As we close, um, here's what I want to do. I'm gonna have the band come back up here. <clears throat> and I just wanna, I wanna challenge you. I wanna challenge you to, to read through this week that passage and really ask God what he wants to say to you. Go to your group this week. Tell them, I prayed through this. I read through this. and This is what God told me. The other thing I wanna offer you is another practical way to apply this to your life. Every Sunday morning at 830 The band comes down. Everyone everyone who's volunteering comes in. We all sit in this room, and we pray. We pray over the service. Uh, We prayed over Israel. We pray over people that are sick. We pray over God working and moving amongst his people. We pray over all these things. I'd love to invite you. You don't have to be a part of any of the service to come and pray over this. We want you to be a part of it. As we become more of a praying church, we want to put prayer at the forefront of everything that we do. Because everything that we're doing here doesn't mean anything if God's not behind it. It means nothing. It's a waste of time if God's not behind all of this. It's all about the show of man. We don't want to be about the show of man. We want to be about the show of God, that God is glorious and lifted up. I'm going to pray. We're going to move into a song. I take some time to reflect as we pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for being a good, loving, gracious, and all-powerful God. Though the world may seem out of control, you are in control. Lord, we want to see the world as you see it and we want to be about what you are about. We want to be in your will, joyfully accepting what you give because we know the character and the nature that you are a good and loving Father as demonstrated by your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, give us more understanding. Give us more wisdom in who you are. Lord, give us conviction of sin for where we don't believe and trust you. That we would lay that down at the cross, and that you would move in our hearts and transforms us into images of Jesus. That we could go and show the world what real forgiveness looks like. They say, "Why would you forgive me?" Because Jesus forgave me. That we lay down our hurts and wants and desires and bitterness. That we would just lay that down, and they would see practically what your love looks like. And Lord, we ask for protection. Keep the enemy far. Keep us rooted in you, focused on you at all things. Don't let us take our eyes off you, but let's run towards the one true God of the universe who loves us. And as we come in relationship with you, May we reflect you in every way that you've designed us. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.